It's all about you. It's all about you, baby. Hi, Deborah here from 365daysofmessages.com with our podcast, It's All About You. And we are always about supporting people going through significant life changes. That's who we support and it's what we stand for. So kicking off season three with such a huge story is where it's at for us. So listen in as Ali Stunt tells you of her mission to let people know about pancreatic cancer and the 10 symptoms that aren't discussed and they are vital for early detection and survival. I, for one, didn't know there were any symptoms at all, so I'm relieved to hear there are at least 10 we can all look out for. During the podcast, we discuss a big controversy, and we've also packed it full with information right to the very end. So let's get stuck in. And so... Welcome to you, Ali Stunt. Um, it's fantastic to have you on our podcast with um, talking about something that's very dear to both our hearts. Um, and we're just going to cover everything during this podcast and give out some really good, useful information, hopefully. <laughs> um, so first of all, I just wondered if we could um, chat about how we come to know each other, really. Well, yes, I mean, um, you know, thank you very much for for having me on, actually, first first off. But um, but but yes, um, we've been uh, looking at a collaboration with the um, with the I forget me. I for, forgive me. I've forgotten the three, six, five partnership. Five days of messages. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> Get your tongue around that lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we're just embarking on a on a partnership with uh, three, six, five messages. And, um, you know, I think it's really important that we team up with people to be able to get um, some really important messages out to the public in some very innovative ways and to support the work that um, the 365 Messages is, is doing. And we're, we're absolutely thrilled that we're going to be part of this. And, uh, and the introduction from one of my team um, from, to me to you is, is really how, how we've got this uh, together. So I'm, I'm really excited about things going forward. Yeah, it sounds like a really good collaboration and one that we can be very creative during as well, which would be fantastic. Um, and so you run a charity called Panact, which we will definitely talk about. Um, but just before we get to that, I wondered if you could fill us in with your backstory, really. And um, it's quite a powerful one. I think it's great if we can set everything up with that and why all this came about. Well, yes, um, it was uh, 2006, um, in, uh, around about this time of year in June, um, and uh, I was newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Now, I didn't fit the profile, and both myself and my GP looked at each other and said, well, that's odd. Um, but I was told to um, modify my diet, which didn't really need much modification, um, and I after a few months started to get some other symptoms so I started to uh, have pain on eating so when the food hit my stomach and then I'd double over 
I had back pain that got worse. So I'd start off with paracetamol and ibuprofen. And then, uh, you know, by the end, I ended up with tramadol, a quite strong painkiller. Um, I also uh, found that I was losing weight without trying. And initially I thought, oh, that's good. I've gone down a gene size. But um, it wasn't a good sign. And it's never a good sign if you're losing weight without actually dieting or, or exercising. And um, it was then in 2007 that um, I went to the doctor with, with all of these symptoms because they were getting progressively worse. And my GP uh, gave me diagnoses of irritable bowel syndrome because I had changing bowel habit, um, of indigestion. And uh, on all of those, I was never given a prescription or, or ordered a test because um, you know, I was actually told to go and get over the counter medication uh, because uh, it, the prescription, oh, you'll save some money on the prescription fee. Um, and, and I think a lot of us want to be reassured that, that there's nothing wrong. So I was sort of happy to go away thinking, oh, okay, it's indigestion. Oh, it's irritable bowel syndrome. But um, I was still getting an immense amount of pain and I knew this was not, none of this was normal for me. Did you and, have kind of an inkling that this wasn't right, what they were talking Yeah, about? completely, yes. And I can't describe what that inkling is, no. but there was definitely, you know, my symptoms were, were not normal. They were progressing, getting worse. And, um, and I, I sort of knew in the back of my mind that there's something not right. And what I did was persistently go backwards and forwards to the GP. I ended up in A&E who uh, they thought I might have gallstones. And in fact, there was a consultant there. It was a bank holiday Monday in the August and a consultant there sort of said, well, fat, fair and 40. Well, we've got two out of the three because I was fair and 41 and um, I'd been losing weight. So I really wasn't fat. And, and that's what they say is uh, typical of, of gallstones. And I just thought that was so insulting. It really was. But they, I thought, okay, well, maybe the pain is gallstones. Maybe that's what it is. So they said I needed an, an ultrasound uh, examination. So similar to when you're having a baby, it's the same procedure. Um, and it was Bank Holiday Monday and there was no one to operate the, uh, the machine. And uh, they said, oh, just go to your GP and get one ordered from the GP. So next day I did just that, went to the GP and... Um, and she said to me, well, OK, I'm, I'm going to order it, but I'm warning you it's going to be about four to six week wait um, on the NHS uh, at the time just for an ultrasound because it wasn't considered to be anything cancerous or sinister. So uh, normally if a GP suspects cancer, then they will refer you on what's called the two week wait um, so that you have to have your first investigation within two weeks. Um, but I was really, really lucky. And, um, you know, my husband had private medical insurance with his work. So I was able to hop onto that, get hold of a consultant and go and see him within two days. Now, I was almost crawling on the floor with pain at this point. And having had two babies, the pancreas pain was even worse than, than childbirth. And I, um, he admitted me straight away, he just looked at me, he didn't even, he didn't touch me at all. He just said, you're coming in right now. And um, he gave me some wonderful pain relief. And, um, and then I had um, an ultrasound followed literally 10 minutes later by an emergency CT. 
and um, that revealed a mass on my pancreas and that was five, a five and a half centimeter mass and it was in the middle of my pancreas and because it was pressing against my spinal nerves that gave me that awful uh, back pain. So I um, was lucky. Um, he just called it a mass at that point, didn't talk about cancer because they can't definitively talk about cancer um, unless they've got the histology and they know exactly what they're dealing with. But I think we all knew what this was likely to be. And so he said, right, well, next week you're going to be in for surgery. So I said, well, okay, that's great. Um, and I, I, I thought that that's fantastic. I thought that's what happens to everybody. Um, but I found out later that I was so lucky that I was diagnosed in time for surgery because only 10% of us are actually diagnosed in time. And so I had the operation and it's a quite an extensive replumbing exercise. Um, I removed um, uh, most of my pancreas except about 20% and all of my spleen. And, um, I, you know, I recovered quickly because apart from having pancreatic cancer, I was fit, young, yeah. relatively healthy. Um, and then I, I, I got the histology back and was told that it was cancer. And, um, and, and, and that was quite devastating, even though I was expecting it it was still devastating to actually hear it. And, and my surgeon, bless him, he said, yeah, well, you know, having the best opportunity with, with the surgery, that's, that's, that's great. And with chemotherapy, I do know of one patient who's lasted um, all of six years. <laughs> Only six years. So, you know, and, and then I started researching it and um, I went on for combination chemotherapy and then chemo radiotherapy. And, by the time I'd sort of finished all of that, I was a little bit walloped, uh, as you can appreciate personally. Um, you know, but um, I, I looked at the statistics and um, at that point I, I was, uh, you know, the five year survival rate for pancreatic cancer was 3%. And, um, you know, it's, it's really quite sobering when you've got a disease that offers you such a small chance of survival um, and uh, but it does increase I know now um, to about 30% if you've had surgery plus chemotherapy but even then it's not as good as some of the other more common cancers um, and survival rates haven't changed in my lifetime and um, you know one of, that made me quite angry first of all I'd never heard of pancreatic cancer in the first place and at, at the time of diagnosis I was studying for a PhD at Imperial College studying meteorites and I thought well hang on a minute I'm, I'm relatively well educated why have I never heard of pancreatic cancer and also when you find out about the stats surrounding the disease then it's it's really quite traumatizing and um, I think one of the worst things that I've ever had to do is actually tell my kids who were 10 and 14 at the time that not only had I got cancer but I got pancreatic cancer and when you've got a 14 year old in the house who can google um, that's never a good thing. So, um, and, and, and that was really quite a distressing time, but we tried to remain positive and we did remain positive. And one takeaway um, for, for me was my, my husband basically saying, look, you know, you're young to have this disease, you're, you're fit. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to remember that you are a statistic of one. So this is your disease, your treatment, your outcome. And, and that was what sort of carried me through some of the sort of darker moments. I think so that's exactly right. And um, 
in a way, I think it's wrong to give you all the statistics because they're based on a group of people from far away and a long time ago. There's never any up-to-date stats that you can look at. Absolutely. Uh, but the worrying thing, I talk a lot about this in my 365 messages because I'm such a believer that it's your mental space you've got to really look after. And when somebody's walloping you with all that information and it's never nice to hear, um, no. how you internalise that is absolutely everything. But you've no time to set yourself up for it because it comes at you so thick and fast. Um, and absolutely. And I'm the husband. Yeah, and I, I'm constantly telling that to patients when I speak to them. Me too. And, and it's really, really important. And I do see it with working with the charity that when I'm talking to people, I can almost hear instantly on the phone in terms of how they are sounding yeah. as to whether they're going to have a better outcome yeah. or not. Yeah. And, you know, I'm no psychiatrist, psychologist or whatever. I, I just know from the tone of voice and whether they are... They are deciding that they're going to ignore all of that. They're going to plow on. They're going to do their thing yeah. and, and, and try and get through this. Or they're, they're sort of going, oh, no, there's no hope. That's it. And, um, yeah. and, and those people don't do as well. No, no. And I, I'm really mindful of that right across the board with every cancer, actually, when you talk to people. Uh, but can pancreatic cancer is both silent in terms of how it manifests and silent in terms of the outer world knowing about it, which is why you didn't know. I mean, I, I knew about it. I've known about it for a long time, purely because it's bothered me so much that how can people possibly grab a hold of it when you can't have any symptoms or anything of it until it's almost too late? Yes, but there are symptoms. And I think, um, you, you know, there are some cases where people have had virtually no symptoms and gone in for a company medical, uh, which has included a, a CT scan oh, yeah, and, and yeah. discovered something. Yeah. Um, but when we've um, talked to our patients, most of the time, with the benefit of hindsight, they have had symptoms. And, um, and one key one... Absolutely. And I think it's really important because I think most people don't understand what they are and what to look out for. I would for. agree, yeah. And uh, so one of the key symptoms which I mentioned previously was losing weight without trying. Right. And if you're doing that or you notice somebody you, you know doing that, then that is uh, a bit of a warning sign for not just pancreatic cancer, but for some other cancers as well. So it's really important to get that checked up and to mention to the GP that you're not trying to lose weight and you're worried about that. Um, the other uh, symptom is uh, quite often abdominal pain, so tummy pain, so it's just underneath your rib cage, and that can radiate round to the back. In my case, as I mentioned before, I had back pain, and now that's not in the lumbar region, that's mid-back pain. Right. So that is- right, right if, Where your waist is, really. Well, no, higher, higher. Oh. It's, it's, it's where a lady's bra strap sits. Okay. So, and it's right in the middle there and it's a gnawing pain and it will uh, sometimes radiate round to the front as well. There are some patients who um, have a symptom of jaundice. So the symptoms of jaundice um, are yellowing of the whites of the eyes and the, the palms yeah. of your hands. Um, uh, and particularly to be careful if you've just been on holiday and got a tan, some people put it down to being away, um, but that's why the whites of the eyes are really important. Some people will find with jaundice that they have really, really dark urine, uh, like the color of builder's tea. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, and also um, some people can get really, really itchy and that's because of the bile being in the, in the bloodstream. And the reason yeah. why pancreatic cancer patients get um, uh, jaundice is because the tumor will block the bile duct. So the bile hasn't got its normal challenge channels to get out. Um, other um, uh, symptoms include changing bowel habit. So if you're, you know your own habits of, of going to the toilet, you know if it's once a day, three times a day, twice a week, whatever's normal for you is normal. But um, when that changes and changes significantly, um, for, for example, I had um, several bouts of, of diarrhea and, um, and they were urgent. I had virtually no warning and really quite embarrassingly so at times. But a lot of people will also have um, what's called steatorrhea in the medical world. And that is um, stools that are very pale, very greasy, um, they're floating in the pan and they don't flush away very easily and they're, they, they're, they're terribly smelly. So if you have that, then you go to the doctor. And a key warning sign, which I had but didn't realize nor did my GP at the time, is new onset type two di diabetes not associated with weight gain not associated with obesity. So we think of normal type two diabetes is, is somebody who's got a poor lifestyle and, um, and um, or a family history. Um, so if you've got neither of those and you've got type two diabetes, you need to question with your GP, could this be something to do with my pancreas? You know, could this be something that um, is, is, is pancreatic cancer? Because uh, we're doing studies with pancreatic cancer action at the moment, um, looking into the relationship between new onset diabetes and pancreatic cancer. And what we're seeing is that we have a, a, a drop in weight and a corresponding increase in, um, in glucose levels, blood glucose levels. Okay. So when we, that's a bit of a double whammy. And uh, so we're, we're looking at studies um, at, at that at the moment, but it's certainly something uh, for, for people to look out for. And IBS, I mean, IBS is a great thing for doctors to pass off for almost any damn thing, you know, depression or anything. They put it down, everything seems to, it's either IBS or depression. And if you've got the two, they'll just swap it between you and you're left in a sea of nonsense. Oh, absolutely. And it's a bit of a catch-all diagnosis, isn't it, when they don't really know what's going on with yeah. you. And, and I think um, one thing, though, that when we've been speaking to our specialists is they say, look, if you're over the age of 40, 45, and the, the IBS is new, you've never had it before, then that's a warning sign. Okay, that's interesting. So I think, if, you know, if, if you've got a new diagnosis of, of IBS over the age of 40, um, maybe mention that it could be something like pancreatic cancer or even bowel cancer, you know, so, um, so it would, it's worth getting yourself investigated. I, I don't know about you, but I think IBS, obviously depression's a, um, a mental state and um, I think IBS is very closely linked to your mental state as well. Um, I know for a fact, working with my 365 messages, I, I wrote 365 days of nutrition with um, various dietitians and nutritions from Maggie's and Penny Braun and um, and the, your, your gut has a second brain and so the whole thing's linked so it's of no surprise really that you get this IBS depression route going on that's masking potentially a stack of other things that's wrong with you 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, depression is on the list of symptoms for pancreatic cancer. There is actually a physiological link between pancreatic cancer and uh, and, and depression, okay. but people don't associate it um, with, with the disease very often. I wonder uh, that um, depression actually is linked very strongly to cancers in general. Um, you know, I went through, I didn't know it at the time, which is quite funny. I went through two years of a very deep depression um, and I didn't realize I'd been in it until I came out of it. Um, okay. And it was quite an experience and looking back on it now, I just wonder about the links, you know, I've often wondered that um, because your body's physiology changes everything in you. Mm. If you're not in an up state uh, and we can't be up there all the time, but, you know, generally we can work our way up. But when you're in a depressed state or there's something wrong with you, um, it's very hard to rally that uh, mental state in yourself. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, stress as well um, can, can um, play a big part. And uh, we just don't know enough about these influences, um, uh, you know, are they, uh, is it cause and effect? You know, yeah. which way round are we looking at it? I agree, and I think traditional medicine hasn't been prepared to look at it, whereas now things are opening up a bit more, we're willing to engage and talk and say, well, you know, let's not close that idea off, let's examine it a little bit further. Um, you know, putting good food in your body turns out good results, all of those things. Um, you don't need to just pop a pill for it. Absolutely. And there's there's various different things that you that you can do. And I think you're absolutely right. And certainly um, over the last sort of uh, 12, 18 months, we've been much more conscious uh, about mental health yeah. and, and things that we can do to to help ourselves um, and and others. Moving on to um, the charity that you set up as a result and, um, I, you know, the passion behind that. We're, we're both in similar roles in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I felt absolutely desperate when I was going through treatment that whilst I, my house turned into a florist and I got a lot of support around me, um, I knew that it wasn't that way for everybody. And the big thing uh, which we've both touched on is keeping your mental state in a good place. I always said the doctors can do and the oncology team can work for you. You can agree and disagree on treatments and all of that. But the main thing that you can take control of is your head. And, and that was vital for me. And so this is where my uh, now new business came from. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the same for you, really. So how did Panact come about? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, initially I wasn't planning on setting up a charity, <laughs> I was, um, but, but what I was appalled that so many people didn't know about pancreatic cancer unless they'd been directly affected. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, I, I, I just thought, well, hang on a minute, if I didn't know about this disease and, and if, um, if people don't know that it's been underfunded for decades, you know, 3% of overall cancer research funding, yet it's the fifth biggest cause of cancer death in mm. the UK. Mm. And it's going up that chart to become the fourth very shortly, not because anything dire has happened to pancreatic cancer, it's just all the other cancers are getting better. Yeah, um, research, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's been very, a lack of awareness, lack of research, and, um, and, and I just thought, right, well, when I was in hospital, I was reading the women's magazines, which my friends had piled on for me. And um, it happened to be the time that it was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I thought, 
I've not seen any of these campaigns for pancreatic cancer at all. Yeah. And I just thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. But the problem I was finding is that there are so few of us that survive pancreatic cancer to find the advocates yes. that you find in other cancers who can fly the That's flag awesome. and do that advocacy piece. Um, it's really, really tough. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm constantly surrounded by um, people who have cared for loved ones who've been bereaved and they really want to make a difference. But I founded Pancreatic Cancer Action in order to um, improve early diagnosis of the disease, because that for me is why I'm surviving. And it's 14 years this year, oh which God. is that, amazing. It's such a thrill. It um, is. And, and I mean, it's a thrill for me, obviously. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but but it's, um, you know, the 10 the year survival rate is one percent. Yeah. And and, and new boundaries all the time now, aren't you? That's you're a, you're a front runner. <laughs> I am indeed, yes. I didn't really want to join this race in no, the first place, but, but hey-ho, whilst I'm in it. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, think, um, I think also we, we um, you know, just knowing the, the lack of awareness and all that kind of stuff. So to cut a long story short, in 2009, I um, joined up with some other people who I'd sort of met online and we put together um, the UK's very first awareness week for pancreatic cancer. And, um, and it was very low key, um, that it included clinicians, nurses, um, patients, families who've been affected. And, um, and I just did, I did a balloon release, which is, which is not very PC these days anymore, but um, that's oh, what we did at my son's school. And, um, and I got my, um, my oncologists came down and, um, uh, and in fact, the, the, the local um, BBC uh, news channel came down as well. And, uh, and, and, and that was the start of it. So that getting the BBC news there was really amazing. I didn't think, and I literally just sent them an email. This is what yeah. I'm doing, please come. And, um, and then um, I, I got messages from people just sort of saying, look, can we join? What can we do? All of this kind of stuff. So I realized quite quickly that I needed to actually have some structure around all of this and to take it forward. And, and that's what I did in 2010. I founded Pancreatic Cancer Action. Um, and um, my surgeon is one of our trustees and still remains a trustee. And, um, and, and you know, it started off in the back bedroom of my house. And, uh, and I, I worked there for, uh, for two years until my husband got fed up with um, leaflets and, um, and booklets. Everything and, purple. And everything was purple, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and you know, he, he sort of, in the nicest possible way, kicked me out and said, look, you need to now get an office and you also need somebody part-time to, to assist you with some of the admin. And, and that was true. And then we've just grown and grown since then. Um, there is a huge appetite for people to, um, to, to try and improve early diagnosis because most of the time, 80% of our patients are diagnosed too late where they can't have any potentially curative treatment. And uh, the, sadly, the average life expectancy with pancreatic cancer is four to six months, which is shocking. Um, and um, so early diagnosis is really important because it, we haven't got a blood test, we haven't got a screening program, there's no way we can screen people because if we were going to put people through CT scans, they need to be contrast enhanced, so that's a radioactive 
uh, risk, which can uh, uh, leave you susceptible to other cancers. And we, we, you know, we, we've not got the non-invasive blood test yet, but I'm hoping there will be some news on the horizon with that one. So using today's technology, um, we really need to get people uh, diagnosed sooner. And it's a bit of a two-pronged attack. It's really looking at the public, their knowledge of the disease, their awareness levels, but also at the same time, we are providing resources, educating, training, GPs, trainee GPs, pharmacists, um, hospital doctors, you name it. Um, and also some other allied healthcare professionals. It might sound a little bit left field, but we're talking to podiatrists and chiropodists yeah. because they actually spend a lot longer with their patients than GPs can. Yeah. And they're quite often in the same demographic that affects our disease. And it makes sense if they are aware that their patients might be coming in with a, um, uh, you know, with, with something and then they're chatting and about, well, I've not been feeling so good and all this kind of stuff. So if they know that they can suggest that that patient goes to their GP, then that's another route. Um, you know, so it's hard when you, you know, you're saying that it's very difficult when you're like you constantly going to your GP with a problem that's really making you feel unwell and you're just being kicked out with a nonsense thing it's hard to keep going back isn't it yeah and I think I think that's that is the advice that I give people all the time is that, and again we alluded to it before you know you know your own body you, do, yeah. you know what's normal for you and what's I think not if you've got a strong character and you're constantly being told oh no it's this oh no it's this oh no it's this you just you, you kind of give over keep going back and with something like pancreatic cancer you can't afford to do that no you can't and um and I, I think also some of the older generation there's a lot of reverence towards the the gp really, they're on a pedestal really, yeah. and you know and and it's difficult culturally to get yeah. them to change that mindset but what yeah. we do find is that some younger relatives will be the ones that will be dragging mum or dad, you've got to go back, you've got to do this, do that. And um, and that's where we, you know, the older generation, maybe they're a little less um, likely to do that, to, to question the GP or, or any other doctor. Um, but the, the younger generation will, and I'm, I'm hoping that that culture will, will change. And, um, you know, GPs are human. They don't, and, and the, the, the clue is in the name. They're general yeah. practitioners. Yeah, they can. So they're expected to know everything, yeah. you know, from warts to yeah. serious heart defects and cancers and all the other bits and pieces. So it's, it's really important that, uh, that people are persistent when, when they've got symptoms that are not normal for them and they're persisting to go to the doctor if you've been to the doctor, you need to go back. And if you've already been back, you keep going back until you get a diagnosis. Yeah. And um, I'm very reluctant to send people to A&E, but there are some times when I've actually spoken to a patient or a patient's relative and they're talking about the symptoms and I'm hearing in my head alarm bells going. And I'm just saying, you know, and they've been fobbed off by the GP. And, and I just said, look, go to A&E and talk about pancreatic cancer if the GP's not listening yeah and and it's awful to think that you have to send people to, to A&E but it might be their only chance of getting an earlier yeah. diagnosis set some alarm bells off for people yeah yeah absolutely
So um, can we just talk about um, your role within the charity and um, what you, you know, what are you bringing? Because I think my experience of pancreatic cancer is learning certain people that I've known. Steve Jobs was obviously a big figurehead that um, died with pancreatic cancer. Um, but aside from that, you hear nothing about it mm. at all. And so you're uh, bringing it to the forefront and getting it out there. And that's an amazing thing. So I expect you're totally driven in that role that you're in. Absolutely. Um, you know, I eat, sleep and drink it. Um, and yeah. I, I think it's, I, you know, and it's, it's some people will say, right, I've, I've, I've finished my treatment. I've, I'm coming out the other side. Still got a few things going on, but I'll just go back to what I was doing. And I made the conscious decision that this had to change and, and maybe I got pancreatic cancer for a reason that I was the one, and that sounds a bit profound, doesn't it? No, but no, no, but, but maybe I'm the one that has yeah. to go out and, and, and shout about it yeah. and bring a little army of other people who can shout about it um, along yeah. with me. And it's, it's motivating those people um, to, to, to come along and, and, um, and, and advocate for, for, for this disease. Um, but it's, it's really, really important that we do talk about it. And, um, and one of the things is with me, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm not backwards in coming forwards. <laughs> and I will tell it how it is. Yeah. And, um, and some people find that's good. Other people just want to run away. Yeah. That's fine, but that's just me. But this disease has to cut through because there's so much noise. And, um, and there's been so so little awareness and lack of funding and, and all of this kind of stuff and people people um, not really appreciating the severity of this disease. You know, 10,000 people every year in the UK. Okay. And nearly nine, you know, nine and a half of a thousand of them will die. Yeah. 26 people a day. Yeah. So it's, it's not a, a, a rare disease. And its impact that it has on on families is is quite devastating because quite often you know it's a, a very short time between diagnosis and death, and um, we've got to, we've got to improve this. We've we've got to make sure that people are diagnosed sooner to give them the opportunity of um, you know even if it's diagnosed sooner when you're not operable, but you may be able to have some treatment options. That yeah. may extend your life. Yes, yeah. it's, it's as simple as that. It's uh, and because, um, in cancer now across the board, apart from pancreatic cancer, it seems there is treatment that can extend your life. I know lots of people since I've been through my diagnosis that are living with stage four cancer and yeah. doing amazing things. Um, of course, they'd rather not be. Of course, they'd rather there was a cure. But rather that than what the options when I was growing up, and I don't know whether it was the same for you, but um, when anybody got cancer, they usually had a five year window and that was it. Uh, whereas now, you know, people are living longer, much longer lives with it, living with cancer. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we we need to get to a stage like that for pancreatic cancer patients. And, you know, there are some um, things on the horizon which may be helpful. Um, we are looking much more closely about the genetic profile of patients and their tumours. And um, it's in its infancy for pancreatic cancer. I know breast cancer uh, and uh, ovarian cancer and other cancers have made great strides in, in this area where we got more personalised medicine. And I think that's the way we need to go. 
in terms of your tumor type. For example, not many people know that the BRCA1, BRCA2 mutation is relevant for pancreatic cancer. Oh, okay. No, I so we're talking around about four to 7% depending on what paper you read. Yeah. But um, those four to 7% can have platinum chemotherapy followed by a PARP inhibitor, which is sh has shown in trials to extend their lives considerably versus the alternative. And, uh, and up until now, we've had a very, very traditional old fashioned approach to treating uh, pancreatic cancer and it's this scattergun approach. And it's just, you know, you want, you, uh, but as we all know with, with all cancers, one size doesn't fit all. It does not. And it's so important that we have genetic testing for yeah. pancreatic cancer patients. Well, all cancer patients should yeah. have genetic testing yeah. because the, the and, and we're learning an awful lot from other cancers where, you know, you've got some genetic um, um, mutations, you know, germline mutations that actually where um, therapies have worked in those cancers, we're looking at seeing if they'll work in pancreatic cancer. So um, we're not yet there, but I think pancreatic cancer is probably about 30 to 40 years behind the rest of the cancer community, sadly. Do you think pancreatic cancer is the least researched cancer that we've got? It is definitely one of the least researched cancers, yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's the least researched because you've got um, cancers with a much lower incidence that may not have a, a good proportion of funding, but it's certainly um, one of the least um, re researched cancers. And, uh, you know, I, I quite often when I'm at conferences and things, I will, I will um, roll out a graph that I've been using for, for many years. And in fact, when I've gone to conferences, I've seen oncologists actually have nicked it off the website, and put it in their presentation. Like, That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you can actually see the, um, with different cancers, the, the, the levels of funding and the associated um, survival rates. And then you see pancreatic cancer where it's flatlining at the bottom. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's a very stark image um, and we need policymakers to really take note um, that, that things need to be done. Um, and, uh, but you know, we're trying all sorts of different ways to reach people because yeah. I, I think if we waited for the policymakers to to open the purse strings, I think we, we're not going to no, do anything. So we need to get people themselves yeah. to present. Um, and uh, we've got a campaign on the moment, um, PC Aware Wales, which we've just launched, where we're um, we're leafleting um, some households through the Royal Mail. Um, and um, these are areas where we've got levels of deprivation, where we know that the survival rate for pancreatic cancer is much lower. Um, we know that people's lifestyles aren't necessarily uh, brilliant in terms of um, you know, smoking and, and obesity and that kind of stuff. And, and really trying to target into to those people, but also bringing on board the communities. We've been working with the communities, with churches, United Reform Church, with um, all the local authorities and, and all of this kind of stuff, a big piece of work for a small country, but we've got to start somewhere. Um, but your controversial um, campaign that you ran a few years ago now, um, you know, grated with a lot of breast cancer patients. Um, I understand absolutely why it grated with them. And I also understand how the campaign was run. So do you want to just fill us in about that? Because it is quite a, a humdinger 
and when as a breast cancer patient when you hear it it does go dunk inside you you know yeah um so yeah go ahead yeah absolutely um again we needed to cut through and um we, we took the <laughs> oh yeah we did absolutely we did um but we weren't just pitched pitching against breast cancer because that you know breast cancer patients are not our enemy um, no, and the, the whole thing, the whole premise of it um, came about when I was actually talking to another patient and, um, and, and I was sort of saying, well, you know, we're really unlucky that we've got this type of cancer. And, um, and in fact, when I was having my treatment, I was um, having my oncology treatment, my chemotherapy, and I, I had a, a, a friend who was going through breast cancer chemotherapy at the same time um, and um, she spent about an hour on the phone moaning about how awful she felt and and um, and how depressed she is and all of that kind of stuff and I tried to support her because she's a friend but she didn't once mention me or my cancer and I came off that call and I went you know what she's got an 86% chance of surviving I've got three and she's moaning about her side effects for treatment I'll take her treatment any day. And, and so that's where it sort of came from. And, um, and, and so, you know, it was, I wish I had breast cancer. And we, but we didn't just speak about breast cancer. We spoke about testicular cancer, which got a 97% survival rate. We upset a few chaps with that one as well. Um, and in fact, we, we actually only took out a couple of ads in um, the Evening Standard and the Manchester Metro, full page ads with, with an advert with wonderful Carrie Irvine, who, uh, not ever, um, uh, Carrie, who was um, with a, uh, had brain tumors you know, yeah. on her, uh, yeah. oh, bless her. I mean, she was in her, her late 20s. I mean, unbelievable uh, courage that that girl had. And, um, so we, we basically said it was the message I wish I had and it was breast cancer. And then we had the stats about pancreatic cancer so that people could understand you know, where we were at with this disease. And, um, and we also did a video and these are all patients. These are not actors. These are people oh, with no, the disease. I saw a TV interview with her and- um, there was Yeah, she yeah, was amazing on this morning. She's just incredible, yeah. But we- um, and unfortunately, two of the, the, the people involved with that are no longer with us. Yeah. And uh, one, thankfully, is, that's Penny. Um, but that, vi that video, put it on our social media, that went viral. And literally, um, the, uh, the girl in my PR team um, at the time, bear in mind, we were a really tiny team. It was me and the PR girl. And um, we... Got, she said, Ali, have you looked at Twitter? <laughs> oh my goodness me. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the office, the phone went off the hook and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, and, and um, but I started off with um, Good Morning Britain and ended up with Newsnight pitched against Gloria Hunniford, who lost her daughter, apparently. Okay. To, um, breast cancer as no. well that's a really tricky interview at the end of a very long day I have to say but it was all it also went um, global I was interviewed by CBS in Melbourne and in the doctor's show in the states and and um, and you know the BBC World Service 
And what got a lot of the attention actually was the, um, the breast cancer charities who actually wrote an open letter to say how disgusted they were with us doing that. And, you know, at first there was a, there was a backlash, but being given that opportunity and that platform to say why we were doing what we were doing and to raise the profile of the disease and say, look, guys, this needs to be looked at. It's not that we want people to get breast cancer any or testicular cancer, cancer yeah. or any yeah. cancer. Yeah. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But it's the fact of it's the inequalities between the different cancers and, and it's predominantly down to lack of funding for pancreatic cancer versus other cancers that have been very well funded for decades. Um, and we need to play catch up. And um, and it's 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 I think with, with this, it was um, it upset a few people. And I did publicly apologize for that because I did not want anybody to be upset um, and um, I actually lost a friend over it. And, um, and you know, is it worth lo losing friends over that? Well, it happened. Um, I regret it, but it happened. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it was um, a tough choice, but I had the full backing of my board, thank goodness, because um, I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Um, and, uh, and then literally after a couple of weeks, things turned around. And it was Jenny Murray on Woman's Hour who actually wrote a, a piece and she's had breast cancer herself. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a piece, I think it was in the Daily Mail, where she said, um, at first I thought that this campaign was repugnant, but now I can totally understand why they did it. Yeah. And she actually came out and wrote that piece. And, and, that, that's, and also the, the moment when Kerry went on this morning and was interviewed, she was so eloquent and, and people were, were stunned. The, the, peop, the guys involved with the, um, with, with the advert, Kerry and, and Penny, they actually phoned up the, um, what was then the Matthew Wright show. Yeah. And got on the show because they felt so passionate about, you know, believing in, in, in this campaign. So, uh, and we actually won two um, IPA awards oh. for it. <laughs> So, um, and um, a, a kind of a very mixed bag um, of absolute shocking uh, publicity and interviews and hard things to deal with, along with what you wanted to achieve, the, no the notice to everybody, um, uh, the publicity and the whole work. So you had a complete 50-50 um, split to deal with, really. Absolutely. And um, I was prepared for a bit of a backlash, maybe. Yeah. But I wasn't really quite that prepared, I no. have to say. So I think I think that the first day that it launched, I was literally working on adrenaline. Yeah. And and um, um and making and, and sure that you step forward in the right way because um, you know, I fully understand you didn't set out there to offend me personally, for example. Um, it was hard to hear the campaign, um, but at the same time I could recognize what you were trying to achieve. Um, there are a lot of women diagnosed, about 150 plus a day with breast cancer, which is why it gets all that um, attention. Um, and that's why it's in a relatively better space than it was some years ago. Uh, so I understood what you were doing. Uh, but I have to say, when I did hear it, it just went dumb. You know, I just thought, oh, my goodness, that's awful. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. 
So I don't but know. What I was really well done, and I also want to say, cracky, that what we that was awful. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, you know, I laugh, I, I, I joke, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm serious in the fact that I never wanted to upset people. Oh, I, I uh, knew that, yeah. But what was really interesting about it was that um, what came out was a greater awareness of secondary breast cancer. Right. Because they're actually saying, well, no, no, no breast cancer is the same. There are some people no, who have this type of breast cancer and the survival rate is even worse. But, yeah. you know, it just wasn't breast cancer overall. And it's a smaller proportion. But it actually raised the profile of because they started speaking out about the secondary breast cancer right. and and um, and other forms that say it's not just one disease. You can't leave. So the debate started with that as well. So hopefully we helped raise awareness of of that and the issues surrounding it at the same time. I, I think it's hard as well because you know when you're going through a cancer diagnosis of any kind you get some absolutely shocking things said to you you really do so I think for you to come out in the way that you did um jarred people on top of what they were all for sure already been receiving the number one thing that uh, all cancer patients have said to them when you speak to them is I know a friend that died of that every time, you know, yeah. and it's too much. So then to hear that kind of campaign sat on top of um, all those kind of comments would have been a difficult time for some people, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, and I think people who just lost someone to breast cancer, I mean, I, I really feel for them. And um, I did speak to the husband of somebody who, whose wife was terminal and, um, and, um, you know, my, my PR girl said, look, do you really want to take that call? And I said, I've got to take that call. Yeah, well, I've got to speak to him and I've got to try to make him understand if I possibly can, yeah. but also to apologize if I've caused him any more hurt yeah. um, than, than, than he had already. Yeah. Um, and so I made that call. It's really, really tough to do that. Um, but I thought it was vital that uh, I didn't just hide away. No. Uh, no, I mean, that, you've stepped into that arena, you've got to step in with... Oh, you've got to. Maybe you didn't really know at the time when it went out how big... Oh, I didn't think... No, 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 no. I, it, it, yeah. I mean, I, I, it did what it was meant to achieve, yeah, but, it but achieved and some. It was, it was far bigger than we ever anticipated, and especially with the global response. Yeah. I mean, we, we had to shut off comments on our on our website. Because that we hard had to use your shoulder at the time when you realised the onslaught that was coming your way. It was really hard. I just had to try and think of sticking to my guns and realizing why I'd done what I'd done. Yeah. Um, but to actually have somebody um, emailing me to say that they wished I was dead. Yes. That kind of thing was not pleasant at all. Yeah. And, and you just thought, oh gosh, is somebody going to be waiting around the corner for me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, I, I don't think that kind of thing warrants death threats, but I do understand the emotions that are involved. Yeah. Um, um, but um, yeah. Um, so kind of swerving away from your con very controversial campaign, and thank you for taking that on um, and talking about it. Um, where do you see the future of your charity heading? Where, you, where are you going? Well, we are um, going on a, a path. We've got a decade of change that we're hoping to impact and a COVID might actually have its own impact on that with uh, referral rates were down in the first lockdown by 80%. 
just because the health system stalled and uh, and people weren't wanting to go to any medical setting. Um, but um, we are on a path to um, increase that public awareness. We have targets for that, that we want to increase that. We want to um, have the uh, five-year survival rates in the, by 2030 to, to have doubled. Now, we were starting to make a few inroads into those survival rates, um, but you know, maybe it'll go back with COVID, maybe it's a blip and we'll be able to move on the same trajectory. But um, but we, we are, we've got great plans. We merged with um, Pancreatic Cancer Scotland in the midst of the pandemic um, last year in March. And, um, and we've got, we've taken on some interesting things where we have a cancer nurse specialist that we fund in Glasgow. And we're looking at a really novel idea of having a cancer nurse specialist in, in the um, north of Scotland, where it's very remote, to actually almost be a, a community cancer nurse specialist, that they can go to the local GP surgeries and see their patients there, um, a bit like a district nurse, but a district cancer nurse. Um, and uh, so we're looking at, at funding for that um, at the minute. We are um, in, increasing our occupational health programs, which we, um, we have a digital version because of the pandemic uh, that we got Dr. Hilary Jones, one of our patrons to, um, to, to actually um, present for us. Um, and, um, and just to move forward um, in to get people in the workplace to understand about pancreatic cancer because they've all had the talks on, on other cancers and other illnesses, but not necessarily pancreatic cancer. And um, also upping some of our research on, on the early diagnosis piece, which is so important to us. And, and we aren't a huge um, charity. We um, earn less than a million pounds a year and uh, we can't afford to do that big budget research. But what we do do is to do what we call pump priming grants. So we will give 40 to 50,000 pounds for somebody who's got a proof of concept idea. And we've had a couple of successful ones, one that's um, gone on to get um, you know, over 2 million of cancer research funding. So I think that's where we see ourselves as, as being able to springboard um, research ideas into early diagnosis and, and, to, and to carry on with all of that. Um, we uh, also have uh, an overhaul of our patient information that we're, we're just looking at and also looking at, as I mentioned before, at trying to reach those hard to reach or underserved groups in our society so that it's not just we're not just talking to you know white middle class people we're talking to everybody and making sure that our communications are relevant uh, and appropriate for for everybody and and i think that's that's a big piece of work um, we are continuing with our our gp aware um, projects where and also um, we are partnering with cancer alliances to actually um, get our messaging out to their community so they present earlier so we're we're partnering with them and, and also um, there is a, a pancreatic cancer um, rapid diagnostic center up in Blackburn and uh, we are working with them to actually help reach their population to try and get patients into and referred into that rapid diagnostic center so we're working closely with them so 
Uh, also, the government piece, the lobbying piece, uh, a lot of that's been put on hold because of the COVID situation, but we do have some lobbying that we can do on the back of COVID because we want cancer services to get back to normal um, as soon as possible. And uh, otherwise, we've got a new pandemic in terms of cancer. You've got a lot to do there, Ali. Just a bit, yes. And I'm hoping that, you know, with with the right level of funding that I can grow the team. Yeah. I'm very happy with the team that I have now. Um, uh, some of them are very, very new, but they are, they're keen, enthusiastic, bright, and um, and it's, it's just great. Um, but what I have to mention are our amazing, amazing supporters, our action ambassadors, and the people on the ground who are our foot soldiers. I was just and, about um, to ask you, you know, about your, your, your uh, two questions to finish on actually. One would be um, your main way of fundraising and that's through the people on the ground doing the um, out there charity runs and goodness knows what else that goes on for you, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely, which is why we were hit by COVID because yeah, sure. the mass participation yeah. events oh, like the marathon, yeah. et cetera, were yeah. canceled overnight, literally overnight. Absolutely. So um, yes, it is, it is mostly that kind of community fundraising, um, the challenge events, the tough mudders of this world, um, and people skydiving and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's also really relevant when somebody just has a bake sale because it all makes a difference. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, we're starting to get a few legacies in, which is fantastic. Um, it's a shame somebody's had to die for that, but um, you know, it's it's nice that they thought of us uh, yeah. in their will, um, and also you know some some corporates and some com community bodies like um, the Rotaries and the Women's Institutes and uh, and uh, the Freemasons uh, and 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 we like to give back as well. So for those organisations, we will arrange a talk to um, inform their members of um, about pancreatic cancer, um, whether it be a golf club or a, uh, you know, a women's institute uh, meeting, uh, it doesn't matter how large or small, we'll, we'll go out and give that talk. But also some of our action ambassadors will be going out to give those talks too and talking about their own personal experiences, whether it's from a patient perspective or from a, a carer or a bereaved person um, or, or I will go dependent on, you know, time and location and all, all of that kind of stuff. So um, our supporters on the ground are, are, are phenomenal, our little purple yeah. army. Yeah. <laughs> and just, just to finish off, um, if somebody's going through a diagnosis at the moment, um, what would be your, I don't know, I don't like advice really, because at this stage you don't, it's the last thing you need, but what would you like to give to them going through a, a diagnosis just now? Yeah, well, I, I would go with the, the stat of one, you're a statistic of one, yeah. and to try and hold on to that and to think, you know, this disease that with a median age of 73, if you're in your 60s, then that doesn't apply. The averages don't necessarily apply to you because everyone is different. How people react to treatment is different, etc. The other thing is, is to keep asking questions. And uh, we've got lots of um, advice on our website in terms of the types of questions to ask your doctor um, and um, you know if you're not really satisfied with the answer just keep asking it again and again because this is your life your body and um, and you know just trying to take that modicum of control yeah and most of the time what you're told yeah 
most of us do because we don't know any better well my oncologist i can't i mean i did feel for him at times because i gave him such a hard time he was like oh no here she comes you know but um i think we need to do that just to keep pushing it and and not accepting even the level of treatment we're getting now can be always improved um, oh, absolutely and, and I, I, one of my talking 365 messages i should get a talking 365 and put you in there because a lot of them are based around all of this about contr keeping control and keeping your head in the right space and asking the questions and all of that is so vital it's so important that patients feel empowered that they feel that they can ask that you know um and we're not little cogs in a system going through we are human yeah. beings we're people with families and friends yeah. and it's so important that we advocate for ourselves as much yeah. as possible and yeah. i think no matter what cancer you've got going to organizations like ours um uh, you can get the right information you can pick up the phone and ask i'm talking to patients all the time and i quite often will will say actually you might want to think about a second opinion yeah. The other thing is to let people know that, you know, you're entitled on the NHS to have a second opinion. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, if you are not feeling 100% about the, the treatment or care you're being given, you can always go and get a second opinion. And, um, and you know, organisations like ours can actually sort of help facilitate that in a way in terms of giving sort of names of, of, of specialists that we know. Yeah, or giving are, you are clarity good. in your own head before you go along and knowing the questions to ask and all of that. Absolutely, yeah. You yeah. need a team around you is one of the th biggest things that I talk about. You've got to build your own team and they're different people for different jobs and your partner cannot do all of it. Um, so, you know, you've got to really work out what you need. Yeah, you you definitely need some something for your partner, um, and quite often partners are sort of forgotten along yeah. the way because the focus is on the patient. But actually, the partner can sometimes feel helpless because they can't do anything. Oh, it's, it's worse in a way because when you when you've been diagnosed, it sounds a bit of a flippant thing to say, but you do get on with it and you deal with it because you have to. But your partner or your children looking in, it's just an horrendous situation for them. Yeah, it, it, it is really horrendous. And, um, you know, it's why some, some of the things when you've got friends um, or family who have had a diagnosis of cancer, then, you know, sometimes it's the little things that really, really help. Yeah. And uh, I've, I found that, um, you know, with, with my friends, um, it was so interesting to see the different reactions to my diagnosis. So yes, I yeah, had one yeah. friend who came and sat on my sofa and bawled her eyes out and said, I don't know how you're dealing with this. And she said to her, well, I'm dealing much better than you are. You know? <laughs> I had one of those as well. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, people deal with this very differently and you can't criticise them for no. it. But, um, it's, but, but on the other hand, you know, I had a group of friends who basically said, Ali, you do not need to worry about the boys. We have a rotor. We don't, can't exactly write it down for you because it might change on the day, but it will be one of us taking to school and the yeah. other picking up yeah and and that was what Priceless. was so good for my husband to just know that was being sorted yeah I had the same with my dogs Um, a friend who had a, a son who'd had a brain tumor and she knew what was needed I had no idea early on and she kept knocking on my door let me take the dog let me take the dog and I thought oh this is amazing I didn't even remember he needed walking you know um 
So it's just, it is the tiny things. Ali, look, I think we could talk forever. I think we could, yes. <laughs> All our listeners will have fallen asleep by now, I expect. So wake up out there. <laughs> it's been fantastic to speak to you. And um, I really am looking forward to the creativity and what we can bring together to each other um, to get the message out and support people that are having a really tough time. Um, and, you know, you're doing an absolutely amazing job. And um, well, yeah. so are you, I have to say. And I think it's going to be a wonderful partnership because there yeah. are people out there that really need the help. And both of us have got experience of going through that journey, albeit slightly different experiences. But there are still some very yeah. cool things that apply to to everyone um, yeah. undertaking a journey. And I think between the two of us, we've got enough drive of an army. So I <laughs> yes, I think I think we're a bit of a force to be reckoned with. I think so. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fabulous to speak to you, Ali. Thanks so much. It's my absolute pleasure. If you like this podcast, like it, comment on it, or share it. Thank you.